Hello and welcome back to Cast Me to Hell with me, Robbie. Unfortunately, the Matrix has sent their agents and Seb is currently sitting in a Romanian prison cell. For today's episode, we're going to be time travelling to the 1970s for a low-budget zombie thriller. For once, they were almost human, beneath the living, beyond the dead, from the depths of Hell's Ocean, Shockwave, the deep end of horror. But first, I'd like to speak directly to you. Yes, you. Maybe it's your first time joining us around the Cast Me to Hell campfire, or perhaps you're a regular. I just want to take this moment to remind you to hit the subscribe button, and please leave us a review as it helps the show grow. Now put on your speedos, and let's take a dip with Shockwaves. Shockwaves was written and directed by Ken Weirderhorn, who would later go on to direct Eyes of a Stranger and Return of the Living Dead 2, and stars Peter Cushing, John Carradine, and Brooke Adams. Shockwave centres around a group of tourists who become shipwrecked on an island and encounter a squadron of aquatic Nazi zombies. The film gets straight into it, showing a picture of Nazi commanders and soldiers before narration begins effectively laying out the storyline. Nazis have long been looking into magic and occultism, and scientists have started to use corpses for scientific experiments, looking to make super soldiers. Towards the end of the war, the narrator states that there were reports of Nazi platoons fighting barehanded. A drone synth score plays in the credits as the title card, Shockwave, starts to flash. After this, we cut to a father and son who are out boating and find a lone dinghy floating. It's then revealed that there was a woman, Rose, unconscious in the boat, and we hear Rose narrate that she can't remember what got her there and she's surprised that she isn't dead. The father and son rescue her, and the rest of the film plays out in one big flashback. Rose is out diving, and she narrates that she is a passenger on a boat, however the engine keeps cutting out. We then meet most of the other cast, including the moustached Keith, played by Luke Halpin, and John Carradine's old salty sea dog, Captain Ben Morris. Amongst the other characters, we get an arguing couple, Beverly and Norman, the ship cook, Dobbs, and Chuck, who I was convinced was played by a young Michael Rooker. As the engine starts to struggle, so does the navigation system, and the crew encounter a strange phenomenon as, the, as an orange haze covers everything. It's not exactly shot too well. The screen just seems to have an orange filter on it, and the scene is intercut with Jaws-esque cuts of the camera moving through the water, but only the surface scenes seem to have this orange tint to them. We then get a cool scene where the sailors and the passengers are having dinner together. Norman and Beverly aren't confident in the old sea dog captain and his crew, and they want to turn around and head back to land, and the conversation turns to ghost ships. Captain Ben delivers a monologue about how he doesn't believe in them, and it's often a case of tiredness and fear that cause people to hallucinate things. When questioned about the orange haze, Captain Ben insists that it was just a natural phenomenon, the sun being reflected off the sea. We then cut to night as mustachioed Keith and Rose are talking as the rest of the crew and passengers sleep, when suddenly the boat is hit out of nowhere by a giant freighter, which causes everybody else to wake up. As Captain Ben berates Keith about not being able to sail and there being no ships out there, he fires a flare which reveals the skeletal remains of the freighter in the distance. It's quite an eerie and effective shot. We cut to the next day, and Captain Ben has now disappeared, but his clothes and the dinghy remain on the ship. The boat is too damaged, so the crew and the passengers head to a nearby island. Whilst Michael Rooker is climbing a tree, he notices a hotel in the distance, 
Keith is rowing Beverly and Norman to shore when, under the glass bottom of the dinghy, we see the captain's dead body float under. That's it for John Carradine. Everyone then makes their way to the hotel only to find out that it's been abandoned for some time. It's a massive building and the characters split up to look around, finding a kitchen with a fish tank, an old refrigerator and a bunch of other rooms. Whilst the characters are looking around the villa, we see more Jaws-esque shots of the sunken freighter, though we see people coming out of it walking on the ocean floor. The characters then hear orchestral music being played through an old speakerphone from the main lobby and rush back out. The speaker wasn't there when they arrived, and were then introduced to Peter Cushing's Scar. They have some back and forth about why they're there, and the shipwreck characters tell Scar about the sunken freighter, which Scar denies ever being there. He runs off to confirm it, and we see some of the Nazi zombies enter onto the island. The main characters then go to sleep, and in the morning we see Nazi soldiers lying in the cracks of the reef. They then wake up and emerge from the water with a funky synth soundtrack. It's quite a cool scene and the Nazis look interesting. They're all dressed up in Nazi regalia, but they've got these weird goggles on. They kind of look like if somebody tried to make a PG Hellraiser. The next morning... Dobbs goes to search for supplies from the beach and he sees a Nazi zombie watching him from the marshes. As he tries to escape, he falls onto a cluster of sea urchins and becomes disfigured, and then a Nazi zombie is stood over him. Keith and Scar, meanwhile, talk about how they can leave the island, and Scar tells them that there's a boat nearby, but they have to leave the island now. Rose takes a dip in the marshes and swims into Dobbs' body. They put his body to the shore and find that there's an SS badge with his body. They notice a group of Nazi zombies on the other side of the marshes and decide to go back and confront Scar. When they enter into another room of the house, they find a massive swastika on display. Scar then tells them that it's too late and they should have escaped by now. Scar states that he is indirectly responsible for Captain Ben and Dobbs' death, telling the remaining characters that the Germans had perfected the perfect super soldier who could fight in any conditions, not quite living and not quite dead. Scar tells them that he was in charge of the Totem Corps, or Death Corps, and that they were a group comprised of thugs, sadists and murderers. However, their bloodlust got too much for the war, and they were ordered to retreat. Scar continues saying that as the war was coming to an end, they went to the sea, waiting for orders that never came. And as the war ended, Scar sunk the ship and has lived on the island as an exile ever since. He then tells them to leave or he'll shoot them on sight. This then leads into the end of the second act and the start of the third act. Scar tries to round up his old platoon by running around and screaming in German, eventually taking a rest by the marshes and starts to drink the water, noticing a Nazi zombie who is staring up at him, who then pulls him in and drowns him. It doesn't really make any sense. Surely you can't just drink water from a marsh, or are we supposed to believe that Scar had been on the island for so long that he's got an iron stomach and he won't get the shits? The survivors, however, get into a dinghy and start to make their way through the marshes towards the ocean. We get shots of the zombie at the bottom of the marshes. The survivors then hit a mud bank, and as they get out of the boat to push it free, the zombies are assembled before them. Michael Rooker pulls a flare gun on them, but decides not to shoot, and during all of this, the boat drifts further out into the ocean. The characters are then separated. Norman and Rose are trying to find Beverly, and Norman's off leaving Rose behind. Norm then starts to walk through waist-high water when a Nazi zombie emerges behind him and drags him under. It's another off-screen death. Rose is then chased back to the hotel by the Nazi zombies. However, as she struggles with one of them, she knocks off the zombie's goggles. 
This causes the zombie to freak out, stumble off and die. They're super soldiers as long as they're wearing these goggles apparently. The survivors are then back in the hotel and as the zombies start to break in, the survivors decide to hide in the old refrigerator, figuring it's secure enough to keep the zombies out and would it be somewhere that they check. Michael Rooker starts to freak out and then threatens to shoot the flare gun. Keith lets him leave, but as Michael Rooker leaves, he wants to take the flashlight and he starts to argue with Keith. The flare gun then accidentally fires into the fridge. Weirdly enough, this dialogue ended up being used in Roger Waters' song, Amused to Death. The more you know, I guess. As Michael Rooker runs for the hotel, he is eventually cornered and falls into the swimming pool. Though he tries several times to escape, he's strangled with a belt and then dragged underwater. Beverly is somehow blinded, maybe by the flare gun, it's never really quite that clear. And she ends up stumbling around the house. We see a zombie behind her, and then we cut to the next day where Keith and Rose find her body at the bottom of the fish tank. Keith and Rose then escape the hotel and find a capsized dinghy. As they sail out of the marshes and away from the island, Keith fights off a zombie and rips off his goggles. They seem to be safe until another zombie attacks and drags Keith off underwater. This time, we see his body floating underneath the boat, and with that, Rose cries as she drifts off out into the sea and passes out. We then cut to Rose in hospital bed, narrating that she is only starting to remember what happened, and as we get one last shot of the sunken freighter, the film ends. Shockwaves is a very mid-film. It's clear to see the low budget when watching the film, a small cast at a primary setting in one location. The first act of the film is decent and the second act is okay. However, by the third act, it falls into the trappings of lots of low-budget horror movies. Just people running through the woods or marshes in the middle of the day with some intense music over it. I think the film also struggles with a sense of identity. The 1970s was a fantastic time for horror movies. Exploitation films were exploding, movies with occult or paranormal films were starting to hit a new stride, and the whole dynamic of horror seemed to be shifting. Shockwave feels slightly outdated and almost like a relic from the Hammer or Universal Monsters era. I'm not saying a film needs buckets of gore, but there was zero blood in Shockwaves, and most of the drownings happen off screen or cut away when somebody is getting dragged underwater. Peter Cushing and John Carradine are both heavily featured in the trailer as Legends of Horror, though both have relatively short screen time, and whilst they're both certainly veterans of horror, their inclusion and acting adds to this feeling of it being a film from maybe the 1950s or 60s. The zombies themselves are slightly underwhelming as well. Though I respect Shockwaves for trying something different with its whole aquatic Nazi zombies gimmick, which is something that has had a massive resurgence since the days of Call of Duty Zombies, Shockwave tries to avoid all the cliches of the time, choosing to shy away from the brain-dead brain-eaters that Romero had popularised, and would later expand on the following year with Dawn of the Dead, and instead having the zombies be something entirely different. I feel this actually works against the film. Instead of having truly terrifying flesh-eating monsters, we get a Nazi swimming team who can be defeated by removing their goggles. That's not to say that the film is all bad. The acting is surprisingly decent, and it's not a badly written or directed film. Peter Cushing and John Carradine work well with the limited screen time they have. The film just struggles to find its identity in Pick a Lane. We have a clear B-movie storyline about a team of aquatic Nazi zombies that can't be stopped, but the film takes itself too seriously to allow it to have any fun with the premise. It's also clearly constrained by its budget, as it lacks any inventive kills, and far too much of the film takes place during the day. Apparently the film was made on a $200,000 budget, and was Ken Weirderhorn and producer Ruben Train's first commercial film, 
They received the money from investors who insisted that they make a horror movie, as horror movies were extremely popular at the time and were making good money. Shockwaves was released on the 21st of September 1977, though for some reason I could find no information on its box office. Shockwaves received mixed reviews upon release, with some praising its direction and interesting use of zombies as opposed to the post-Night of the Living Dead boom, whilst others found that it was cheap, uninteresting, and entirely too forgettable. And unfortunately, I'm inclined to agree with the latter. Whilst I don't want to deride Shockwaves as being a bad film, because it's not, it's competently made and had some surprisingly good performances for a low-budget B-movie, I feel that even in retrospect and watching it for the first time over 40 years since its original release, the film lacks the flair and ambition of other films from the 70s. And instead, I just feel it slips into this okay, if not slightly outdated, and maybe boring take on zombie movies that could have been a lot more fun. So that's our look at Shockwaves from 1977. If you haven't checked the film out, then I would still recommend checking it out, as one man's trash is another man's treasure, and the film does have a cult following which you may find yourself a part of. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, then please hit the subscribe button and leave us a lovely review. Come and let us know what you thought of Shockwaves over on our Instagram, TikTok and Twitter, at CMTH Podcast, and I'll see you next week. Hey.